Oh boy, we're back. The Broker Talk Boys, they're back in town. We're here to answer all of your real estate questions. Keep writing us at broker-talk.com and let us know what's on your mind. Send us your questions. I'm Jim Lowenstern. My co-host is Larry Lawfer. And before I turn the mic to Larry, I want to say Broker Talk is sponsored today by Castles Unlimited, where you get the best real estate offers. Online, go to castlesunlimited.com for all your real estate needs. How's it going, Larry? Uh, it's going excellent, Jim. Uh, we've got a great show lined up. We're very lucky to have um, a uh, real estate writer from the Boston Globe, uh, our local um, top echelon uh, newspaper. Uh, the world famous the Boston Globe. The world famous. Uh, he he comes to us out of uh, Los Angeles Times, St. Louis Post Dispatch, Times Herald Record. I don't even know where that is. Um, but uh, in any event, real estate is a big, big business. Uh, it's arguably the biggest business as far as I'm concerned because the primary things everyone needs are food, shelter, and clothing. Shelter is number two on that hit parade. Uh, people that own homes are the ones that are getting taxed the most. They pay their bills because the government can find them. Um, so um, it's interesting to have Tim on our show today. He focuses mostly on big uh, issues, big development, big downtown development. But he talks to people in our industry all the time. Welcome aboard, Tim. Hey, glad to be here. We're thrilled to have you. Um, now, uh, I've read s several of your articles from the last couple of weeks, and you're, you're talking about uh, broad market trends and housing policy issues. Let's start right there. I mean, affordable homes. This is a huge issue right now. And uh, secondly, the taxes, the tax issue that, um, or, or the... Um, the 2% that the government is looking at right now to charge everyone who buys and sells real estate, 1% to one side, 1% to the other. Uh, do you have any feelings on those, or have you done any reporting on that yet, Tim? Well, yeah. So, I mean, as, as you're aware, and I'm sure your listeners are aware, right, housing affordability is an enormous issue in greater Boston and has been for some time now. We're I think the third highest average rents in the country after New York and San Francisco, uh, I think San Francisco and then New York and then Boston, uh, we're in the top five in terms of prices of median, uh, median prices of single family homes and condos. And, and yeah, I mean, whether it's renting or buying here, it, it's a really expensive market, right? And so that is, it's, it's, and it's pushing people out of, of, of neighborhoods that have changed rapidly as their values have gone up. Some people have been pushed out. That's, that's creating political pressure to do something about, about rents uh, for lower-income renters. It's, it's a challenge for middle-class families, working families, to, you know, to find a place that they can afford in a, in a town where they want to live, with a commute that makes sense, with, with good schools. And, and so people find themselves um, either renting longer to try and save for a down payment, or moving further out, uh, uh, which then contributes to our traffic challenges. It's it's a really it's a really complicated situation, and there's sort of a growing consensus, finally, in the last year or two, on on Deacon Hill and um, 
in the city of Boston and in some other communities that, you know, we, we need to do something about this and we need to address it. So I write a lot about that debate and sort of how the various ideas and, and policies that people are proposing to try and, you know, get our arms around our housing challenges. Um, most recently, the, the, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of different approaches out there and it's kind of like throwing everything against the wall and seeing what sticks. Most recently, the, the, the thing that I've been writing about in the last couple of weeks that is sort of picking up momentum in, in Boston and a small handful of other municipalities here is the notion of a tax, a transfer tax on real estate sales. Um, there are Boston and uh, a few other communities, Brookline, Somerville, and Concord, at least Nantucket, have recently passed um, legislation that would allow them to create such a tax. They need approval from the state legislature to actually do it, and that's kind of where those things are at now. But the idea is that they would, you know, in, in, in Boston, they would tax uh, real estate sales worth $2 million or more. They'd have to pay a 2% tax that would, the money would then be used to fund affordable housing programs. Um, they say it would raise tens of millions of dollars. It really depends on how busy the market is. And, you know, I think at, at that $2 million threshold, their hope is that they're not going to hit everyday homebuyers, right? They'll, they'll hit the people who are buying really expensive condos and, and, and nice, you know, very nice brownstones and Beacon Hill in the back bay. But most of the money on that is going to come from people buying and selling office and apartment buildings, uh, which has been a pretty big business the last few years. So that's where that's going. Um, the... The statewide legislation, though, would actually get down to they, they tied it to the median home price in the state. So that's a very different matter. Um, there, you're talking about four hundred thousand dollars, which would cover most home sales in eastern Massachusetts. Uh, and and so it'll be interesting to see where that goes politically. I think there's a difference between a two million a tax on properties to sell more than two million dollars and a tax on properties at four hundred thousand dollars. Those are extremely different markets around. Tim, Tim that's just a really slippery slope. Uh, it makes sense to to charge the, but let's call them the one percent. It's actually the top ten percent is the luxury market, and that threshold is a uh, million eight seventy three right yeah. now at the, at this point. So anything above that is the the top ten percent of the market. So uh, we're once we begin collecting, we meaning the government collecting taxes on that, there's nothing to stop them from doing it for $500,000 houses or $200,000 houses as well. I just think it's it's taxing a single uh, group of people, people who buy and sell homes, and, and they're the ones that are now responsible for making more affordable homes. I think there's other alternatives. And, and I, th- I, th- I think I read that it, it's higher than 2%. Wasn't it like 2% for each side, like the buyer was 2% no, and the, the seller was 2%? No, it's, one, it's 2%, 1% buyer and 1% seller right now. And that's what's in front of the, the uh, okay. legislature well, right now. that's less than the numbers I saw. I th- the numbers I saw were just... Yeah, that was a couple of weeks ago. Crazy. So it's been downloaded. It's been, it's been downloaded. Okay. And, it, and it's, it's pending right now. So there's a call to action for for agents to let your legislature sure, know what you sure. think I about saw, I this. Sure, I saw that email, yep. Um, will, will anything come of those nasty letters to the legislature? I don't know if they're nasty letters. It's kind of a form letter, and it just says, you know, you're, you're a, an interested party, and you're saying, hey, listen, I don't agree with this, and if you get enough of those letters, that, that does affect 
Uh, well, let's say it doesn't pass because they got so many letters. Where do they raise the money? Where does it come from? It's got to come from somewhere. It's sure. got to come from sales tax. That's already up. Sure. Gasoline, already up. Yeah. So, 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 Tim, uh, what are people saying? Where else would this money come from? No, I, I, I think if they, I mean, the mayor of Boston, Mayor Walsh, um, in the State of the City Address on Tuesday, proposed $500 million over the next five years to, to put towards affordable housing programs in Boston, building, uh, building affordable housing development, helping um, finance renovations of public housing, helping to finance uh, some financial assistance for first-time home buyers. A variety of things that they think will help uh, people afford to live in the city. Um, the, the majority of that money would come from the transfer tax proposal. If it doesn't happen, which it may not, um, I, I, I'm not sure that, that that those programs happen is kind of what it boils down to. I don't think they're saying, well, if we don't get it from transfer taxes, we'll hike the gas tax. I think they're they're hoping to pass the transfer tax and. Uh, Trying to build, honestly, trying to build a political coalition in support of it, just like there's a political coalition against it. So, I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, I think you know one thing about these these bills is nobody's saying nobody's saying pass a st- well on this topic. Nobody's saying pass a statewide transfer tax. Um, it's you know these are these are five cities and towns in the state that have said we would like to do this, um, and you know if if they're and then they have to because of the the nature of state law and, and the way that the Massachusetts legislative system is designed, they, they, they need the approval of the legislature and the governor, um, even though it, you know, it, this wouldn't affect the vast majority of people who live in Massachusetts. Um, but once that door's open, like you said, it, it could be open wider, and maybe more towns are like, oh, yeah, we should do that, too. Uh, it also, you know, I think where on the, where on the price threshold you're talking about matters a whole lot, and... Um, that that's a local that's going to be a local decision basically. Boston's going to Boston says they'll keep it at two million. Some places might could go down to four hundred thousand, which is a very different situation. So um, I I just have to ask one question: Are you at a Starbucks, Tim? <laughs> Where are you? I'm not. I'm in the newsroom at the Globe. Uh, oh, okay. I occasionally have loud voiced. Um, colleagues nearby we're in an open office setting here yeah that's 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 fine uh has there been any talk about uh lifting that uh minimum price to a higher number than two million i think mostly lower is what mostly lower yeah yeah i mean like i said there there is there two million isn't what it used to be last week so there will be negotiation around it i'm sure um the the current language at um, the current language would enable it to get down to whatever the median price is and I'm not sure if they get that from MAR or the Warren group or how exactly but but the median price um, I'm for that but I'm not even, I'm not even clear that that they've determined that assessing you know whether you're talking about median price for a single-family home or median price for a condo which these things do matter right um, but you know I, I then I think what would happen is then cities could essentially set their own threshold at any point at, above that. So, so Boston Boston would do $2 million, they say. Um, some other places might go lower. And this is a state initiative. There's, there's so many different uh, uh, local initiatives. We had Steve Bremis, who's a real estate agent and family, has lived and worked in Somerville for years. And uh, we had him on talking about the rent control issue that was moving through their legislature that, in fact, it did not 
happen. But we did have one happen in Brookline just recently, the, the natural gas ban. Um, what, what have you heard about that, Tim? What can you tell us? Well, yeah, so Brookline in December voted to their town meeting, uh, town select board, I guess it is, voted to uh, prohibit natural gas lines, essentially natural gas, in new construction um, of both apartment buildings and single-family homes, also of, of made, you know, for major renovations. I'm not exactly sure what the threshold on that major renovation is, but you know, if you if you buy a house in Brookline and want to gut rehab it, I guess you you could not use natural gas. Um, now Cambridge is considering something similar. Uh, I believe a few other towns are are exploring the idea, and um, the Brookline bill will have to be reviewed by the attorney general and is also being challenged in court by some utility groups. So it's it's not a done deal yet, but um, this is a trend that started in California. Uh, I believe Berkeley, California, was the first place in the country to do it, and a few other cities in California have done this. Brooklyn would be the first in Massachusetts, where it gets a lot colder, and natural gas heat is a much bigger deal. Uh, so I, I think some people are sort of, I mean, there's some concern about the cost of of this on in new construction, right? I mean, other there are other heating systems out there, electric heat, heat pumps, that sort of thing, but they, they, they can be more expensive than natural gas. They also may not be as effective in our cold winters as it's like 15 degrees out today. Uh, so I, I think all that's going to, that'll be a really interesting discussion. It's not something that I feel like has gotten a ton of analysis at this point, um, and I'm guessing that'll come as it spreads from Brookline to potentially other cities and towns. I, I think that's following a trend, um, uh, Tim, that's going on. It's the greening of our real estate. And there is a designation, a specific designation uh, called green that real estate agents get. And they know, they understand um, how to make houses more efficient. And the, the reason why this is so important here in, in Massachusetts and New England is because we have all of the seasons. It does get hot and it does get very, very cold. So if you can button up these houses built in 1600, 1700, 1800 and make them efficient, uh, the belief is, that, I think I understand this correctly, the belief is that electricity and heat pumps and, and these heat exchangers are a much more efficient, greener way to go. Have you heard that from as you're out there doing your reporting? Um, I, I mean, I've heard that to a degree, but but again, we're talking about um, things that cost a lot of money. Um, the, you know, I, I do think the, the Brookline bill uh, only deals with new construction, hopefully, right? Hopefully your new construction is going to be more energy efficient anyways than, you know, your 300-year-old drafty house. Um, so yeah, hopefully that all, that all works. It was interesting. I recently happened to have the unfortunate circumstance of needing to get my boiler replaced. And I was asking the, um, the, the guy who came to do my estimate, who, you know, works for a big boiler and furnace installation outfit here, if he'd heard about this and, and he hadn't, uh, he was rather horrified uh, by the idea. And he, um, went on to, tell me all about how this might work in California, but just the, the, the demand on heating systems in our winters here is such that the, the technology on the electric heat pumps just, just isn't really there yet. 
Um, and and you know, same with same with solar. And it's hard to envision that working for a lot of people uh, anytime soon. But but I don't know. We'll see. I mean, it. it let me, let me ask you a, qu- more a question of is it economic and scalable? Yeah, let me ask you a question, Tim. Did you consider calling Mass Save before you called a uh, plumber in your air, a uh, HVAC person in oh, your yeah. air? Oh, yeah. I got a, um, I got a energy assessment myself a couple years ago, and um, uh, we got a very efficient system in part because there was a Mass Save rebate behind it. So, I mean, all, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. You know, everybody's trying to do this. I think it's more a matter of. Um, of the speed and 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 the how you do right. It. Well, the Mass Save program is actually funded by a number of the utilities because if you don't yeah. have to big build yeah. new plants and you make everybody more efficient, it's just a better system for everybody. Yep. And global warming, uh, believe it or don't believe it, it's better to uh, assume uh, that if you can be more energy efficient, you should be. Um, yep. I, I guess that was a statement. <laughs> Definitely, I don't think anybody's not a question. Now. I think I just think you know. I think when you're talking about um, multifamily housing in particular, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm thinking about Cambridge, which does more development than Brookline. Um, yeah, you, this 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 drive uh, the commercial real estate and development community. They're not opposed to energy efficiency. They're just they're just thinking about the costs of construction here, and uh, and and HVAC is part of that, and that. Uh, this is already an expensive place to build, and if you push people towards a more expensive system, it's only going to get more expensive to build, which makes new housing harder to build, which makes it harder for people to afford to live here. So what are the newest developments, uh, actual high-rises or uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet of new build in uh, the Boston area? What, what's oh, exciting gosh, coming up? Everywhere. Um, you know, I, I, we've been on a, about a six-year tear of building, um, you know, as a region in, in at a pace that, you know, we haven't seen at that sustained level probably since the 80s here. Um, there are, you know, and, and it's, it's mostly multifamily. It's mostly in the core of the region, uh, in Boston, Cambridge, Somerville, Watertown, Malden, Revere, Places with good T access uh, and and you know and, and yeah multifamily whether it's apartments or condo buildings uh, actually seeing more of a shift towards condo buildings lately um, and you know I think that's that that's helping that you're starting to see evidence that rent growth is slowing down and um, condo home price growth is slowing down and a lot of people would say that all the new supply is contributing to that it's 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 not the only factor, but it's definitely one. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know, the question I think is what happens when the market slows down. It's still by no means inexpensive to live here, and uh, eventually the the market will slow down. I think I, I did a story the other day. Um, a lot of people are saying construction costs now are growing faster than rents, which is making it hard for investors to see their projects making economic sense, and so they're. They're, you know, they're not necessarily investing in apartment buildings here like they were a few years ago. And the same thing happened when when uh, there was rent control. It made no sense for investors to to hold on to those properties, and they just uh, moved on from them. Um, yeah. And 
So, uh, Tim, how is it that you determine what it is that you're going to go out after and study? Is that something that that um, you just, uh, as part of being a reporter, you say, oh, this this is a good idea, I should go with it. So you run it by your editor, and, and he says, yeah, go with that, or she? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I work with um, my editor and talk with other colleagues here who cover real estate or business or other sort of related topics, and... Um, Basically, I look for stories that I think are going to say something new and that I think illuminate the issues around housing and development in greater Boston and and, and, a, and will be of interest to our readers. Um, you know, I, I, I try to balance writing stories about specific places, specific communities, specific projects with stories that are going to be of universal interest because we are... You know, we are a regional paper. We, we basically circulate across eastern Massachusetts and are, um, you know, so I, I, I have to write stories that appeal to a broad audience. Uh, sometimes an interesting specific situation can be um, extrapolated to say something more broadly about the region, and I try to write stories like that. Uh, but, um, you, know, we, you know, there's an endless flow of, of news about real estate and development right now. There's so much going on. I probably turn down or, or, or don't do five stories for every one that I do. And uh, that's, a, that's a nice problem to have. I, yeah, I, I'm sure it is. And I, I, and I know that there's not a real estate agent uh, out there who uh, reads these articles who thinks, well, he doesn't understand what's going on in my neighborhood. And, you know, the reality yeah, of I that mean, is when you... Real you're, estate... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, when you when you talk about uh, general or regional issues, they're not they don't care about what's going on in Newton Corner. We're talking about what's going on in Boston real estate, and Newton Corner is just one okay. one specific spot, or you know uh, somewhere in South Boston, a seaport. You know, um, what kind of feedback do you get from agents on this, Tim? Yeah, I mean, I think particularly when when writing about the broad regional housing market, it's um, yeah, I, you can't. I, I I do. I sometimes get calls from from agents and realtors being like, oh, you know, I yeah, you wrote this story saying that whatever home growth, price growth is slowing down, but it's not going slowing down where I work and in, in whatever town, and and that's probably true. I mean, any any local agent who covers a you know works in a in a, in a specific community and is deeply rooted in that community is going to understand and know that community far better than I do. And, um, and hopefully uh, their clients and whoever lives in that, that community and is thinking about buying or selling a house is, is talking to local expert realtors and not just getting all their advice from the, you know, the mass market daily newspaper in town. Um, but, I, you know, I think there is value in, in stories that explore sort of the broad trends and the big the big directional arrows of where the market is going. And so when it comes to, you know, the housing market is doing this this month or this quarter kind of stories, that's that's what we aim for. I'm sort of looking for specific examples that illustrate broader trends, but but really we're focused on the broader trends. And, uh, and I'll, yeah, and those are going to vary by, by place. I think um, there's 100 housing markets in, in greater Boston uh, right now, whether it's geography, you know, split by geography, split by price, split by type of unit. And um, there's a lot of information out there for people who are who are looking to, to buy or sell or understand it better. Tim, uh, speaking of one market, uh, the area around the uh, new casino, Encore, um, 
have you been analyzing that, writing any articles about what's happening in that, uh, in that area? A little bit. Uh, it's an interesting place right now because... So you also have Assembly and, Square. Uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that the traffic problems have been as bad as were feared. Um, but, you know, the company Wynn, um, owned, they, they acquired a lot of land around the casino for some sort of theoretical future developments. They wanted to build, um, they never really said exactly what they wanted to build, but the idea was a sort of entertainment-driven district there. And there's been not any, and, and that was one of the reasons why Everett welcomed the casino. They said, look, it's nice to have a casino. We, we want the jobs, we want the tax revenue, but really we want the casino to spark development around the casino in the city of Everett. And um, so far that hasn't really materialized. Uh, the casino's only been open for, what, a few months, so those things take time. But it'll be curious to see what happens there. I, 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 I've covered casinos in other markets, and they're always pitched as, this economic development engine and panacea, but the reality is um, casinos are built to get you in the door and have you spend your money in the casino. And they, in my experience, in most places, aren't really about you, you know, they, they, want, all, they want all your money. They don't want you to spend some of the money at the casino and then go for a nice stroll down the street to some Italian restaurant or whatever. They, you know, they'll, they'll give you the Italian restaurant, too in the building. So I don't know how much spin-off development you see out of that casino. I guess we'll, we'll see. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know how well it's doing. Uh, I've been there a couple times. It's underperforming so far. It, it did seem, that, it did seem a, little, a little empty. Yeah. That, that, those, are, those are such big, sprawling places, though, any of these casinos. It actually just, isn't that big. Oh, really? I haven't been there. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's not people, people ask me if I gamble, and I say every day I'm a real estate agent, <laughs> you know? Yep. So, um, Tim, what are you going to work on um, through the year? Do you have any kind of broad things that you that we could be looking for? Yeah, I think one of our big one of the big issues that I've been watching in the last six months, and will probably continue to watch, is the question of how much how much new housing is going to get built in in suburban communities here. You know, I think Boston has been building a ton. And a handful of other municipalities, mostly close in, have built a lot. Uh, something in the neighborhood of half of the housing units that have opened in greater Boston in this decade have been built in five municipalities. Um, there's a lot of places where, and, that, and, and so there are a lot of places where people are looking around saying, like, gosh, there's a lot of demand to live in these towns that have that have good schools and are relatively close in, but but a lot of those towns are saying no, we don't want multifamily housing, uh, or we don't want more multifamily housing. We we've got too much, whatever the objection is. Sometimes it's traffic. Sometimes it's it's just you know the buildings are too big for the the scale of the neighborhood. Sometimes it's con sometimes it's concerned about having about overcrowding in the schools. Uh, but there's a lot of towns that that you know say that's that's not, you know, at least at least some people in those towns say that's not what we're that's not what we want in our town. And but there but there is a regional need for more housing, and I think that debate is playing out in big and small ways all over the place right now. So where that goes and where that construction and development winds up happening will be really interesting to watch over the next over the next year. I think that there's uh, 
a robust debate happening in a lot of communities here right now. So, so Tim, uh, one final question, I guess. Uh, so the relevance of the Boston Globe with regard to the real estate market in general, uh, there was a time, I've been doing this a long time, when uh, I was pumping just about, I, I used to actually tell people that I was working for the Boston Globe. Uh, I, I pumped all my money into the Boston Globe every weekend, and I would spend a good amount of time on the phone every Friday putting in ads. Eventually, it was a little more of the computer, but in the beginning, it literally was speaking to someone over the phone, and that was it. It, it was the Boston Globe advertising all the properties, and I, I guess you still have it maybe with Boston.com somewhat, but things have changed. So how does, um, how does the Boston Globe remain relevant to real estate in the region, um, you know, with the, with the advent of the Internet? Oh, it's, it's for the consumers we're, we're really talking about. For the, for the agents, I mean, we have, a, we have other places. But, Tim, back to you. Yeah, I guess that's, that's what I was going to say. I mean, our, our business has changed immensely, obviously, uh, in the last as I've been working, I've been a newspaper reporter for almost 20 years now, and it has, you know, it has changed dramatically as a business, right? It used to be that, yeah, we we booked enormous revenue from a handful of categories of advertising, real estate being one of them. And, you know, I think a lot of those industries, including real estate, have found far more effective ways to reach their customers than to, you know, put some ads on a newspaper that got dropped on a few hundred thousand doorsteps every Sunday. Uh, which is which is fair, you know. We've shifted our business model to be, you know, every every quarter, every year, we get, you know, more. We, our digital subscriber base grows, and those are people who are paying, you know, a, a significant amount of money to subscribe to the Boston Globe, mostly online. And um, we're moving towards that. Where you know, so in, instead of serving advertisers. We increasingly serve our readers, which I, I think is probably a, a, a better thing in the long run, even if there's not as much money involved. Um, but as far as how we remain relevant, I think we remain relevant by covering by covering the communities where we all live and, and, and the issues that we all care about here in Greater Boston and being, you know, the best and smartest place that um, – the best and smartest journalistic organ journalism organization in Greater Boston, and if you want to understand what's going on in this community and, and and care about this community, you're gonna you're gonna read us because we're where the conversations happening, regardless of the topic. Real estate being one, but by no means being the only one. We cover a lot of other things that are immensely tied into real estate, whether it's transportation or education or, or local government, all those things that um, you know we cover them more deeply and more vitally than, you know, I mean, we, there's lots of good journalism organizations in this town, but, but we're the biggest, and, and we cover that stuff. No, I believe you're meeting the challenge. I, I just, you know, it was an uncomfortable topic. It could have been the entire half an hour, but I had, oh, sure. I had no, to bring absolutely. it up at some point. And, you know, um, no, advertising isn't what it used to be, and that's, that's the reality we, we deal with right now in a lot of ways. Thank you so much, Tim. Broker Talk is a weekly podcast hosted by real estate industry professionals and always dedicated to telling it like it is. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate your hard work for our industry, and we look forward to uh, talking to you again sometime down the road. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks a lot. Thanks again, Tim.